welcome to episode two, I think this is officially, although we had another one before. <laughs> we're already getting, we're already digressing. Welcome to episode technically two of Anne and Steve Talk Stuff, a Limerick Post podcast with me, Anne Blake, artist, former economics teacher, of course, um, not really on any CV I give in, and an actual economics professor, Mr. Stephen Kinsella. How you doing, Anne? I, I'm good. How are you getting on? I am good. I'm good. We're heading towards the end of, of the semester, finished lectures. Um, we're at that point in the semester where um, the enthusiasm for the, the beauty of um, the education mission has somewhat dimmed. Hmm. And um, we're all just really, really looking forward to the exam bit. Okay. And, uh, and, know, and the Christmas. And the Christmas bit. <laughs> Last Christmas, there was an amazing... Um, Actually, amazing a Christmas video. Oh, it yeah. It was done by a guy called Tony Sheridan and some students uh, for oh, the I, I, website. And I, know, it was I know Tony. Amazing. Tony's brilliant. But well, what was amazing about it was, well, two things. One, it was made for about 3p, right? It was super cheap, but it was made by these uh, amazing students. But it got that process of like, you're studying for your exams and, you know, you got some pressure and then, you know, then you do the exam and then. Uh, you know, the the I was actually in the video because uh, I was walking across campus and Tony was like, Steve, come here. <laughs> he sort of grabbed me and said, we need somebody to be like vaguely, you know, professorial. Could you mind doing this? And I was like, oh, OK, cool. So. Um, so wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. I, hang on. Sorry, I have to interrupt. Yeah. So obviously my main area is performance, mm -hmm. but I have an economics teaching past. Sure. Which you have to listen back if you want to hear about that. Yeah. But. Stephen, you're telling me now that you have a performance uh, credit now. Oh, my God. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Tony, sort it out. That's true. That's Get true. Get on to IMDb now. <laughs> I actually am on IMDb. Are you? I am. So I got, I, years ago, years ago, this, this crazy Dutch man rang me and he said, are you Stephen Kinsella? I said, yeah, 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 I am. Yeah, totally. And he goes, um... I am a film producer and I'm working on a, a, a documentary called Boom Bust Boom. Okay. With Terry Jones from Monty Python. Wow. Um, so I have Terry Jones and I have a load of puppets of dead economists. And I want somebody to explain the theory of a dude called Hyman Minsky. And I see that you've written some stuff about him. Would you mind flying to London? And I was like, can I meet Terry Jones from Monty Python? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, I'm there. So I went and I met him and I was like, fangirl, Terry Jones from Monty Python. Oh my God, you know, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. I was like, ah. And then I met him and he was, he was like, like I was excited. My wife was excited. My kids were excited. My, my parents-in-law were excited. Like I, I, I do these things from time to time. And they're not really that big of a deal, but this is mm. a huge deal. Okay. So I went and I met him and I was like, oh my God, fan, girl, maximum. And then a really, really weird thing happened, which mm. is that he went and he started going, it's really, really nice to meet you. I've read all your stuff. Oh my God. I really like your stuff. <laughs> um, this is going to be amazing if we could just do that. So he was doing the thing that a producer does to get an interviewee into the mood to kind of spout a lot. Yeah. And the problem was that totally interfered with my fangirling. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because you can't simultaneously be like, you know, this person's kind of bigging you up and then you're and then you're like, yeah, you know, that's not going to work. So it was a bit, um, it was a really, really weird moment. So I think that's on. Amazing. That's, 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 it's, it was, it's on Netflix or it was on Netflix or something for a while. So every so often I get somebody going, Going, how are you on Netflix? And I go, the answer is 
Terry Jones from Monty Python, which is the actual coolest thing I've ever done. It's a cooler answer than I'm on Netflix is the reason. Because yeah. of Terry Jones from Monty Python. Oh, yeah. Python. So, and it, uh, the, so, so the... the um, so back to the student video. Oh, yeah, so the student video. So, so the <laughs> lovely thing about the student video is it's got this wonderful progression from, you know, studying to, you know, the, the fact that the lecturers in UL come over and just mind you. So it's kind of a tradition in UL. When you're doing your exam, the lecturer will go to every single student and go, are you all right? Mm. Are you okay? And they'll go, well, I might have a problem with this. So, you know, and I do that for every single one of my students. I've got 540 students. You're amazing. This takes a long time. No, no, it's, it's not me. It's part of the condition. Like, like, like it's part of the... Ethos. The culture. The culture. Right? The culture. So it's nice. And it's one of the cool things that we do. But it, so th- th- they have all these little things. So, so if, you're, if you're from UL, like there's all these little things going on, like we're meeting the stables, which is the bar in UL. Like, you know, meeting the stables and, you know, the student, she, she laughs. And like, it's, it's all these little kind of, it's a lot of fan service in the, in the video. Yeah. But also showing the beauty of the campus. And then the bit at the end where the exams are done, you go for a beer. And then the next morning you get in your car, you drive home, and then you, you're back with your family. That wonderful moment. So that's kind of, we're at the start of that process now. Okay. So that's with me yeah it's it's um it's a uh, because university life it, it's it's a it's we're, we're ul is only at 41 years old right bit like myself bit like myself uh but it it is actually a copy of a of a technology that's a thousand years old mm-hmm. which is universities yeah and that that technology comes almost entirely from monastic life oh, so yeah. monastic life moves through the seasons uh, if you go up to the Benedictine Monastery in Glenstall, you listen to their music. The music is is different at different points in the year. Mm. Uh, it, similarly, academic life is it, it, the music of academic life is different at different points in the year. So now it's a bit like ah, right, and then <laughs> you know after Christmas it's like because ah, you've got to do all the marking, and then it just totally chills out, and you can get back to your writing research, and then the term switches back on again, and then you're like. It's the spring again because you're like back into teaching and you're mm. still full. But then it goes down again. You go to the summer, you do do some research. You take two weeks off. Everyone listen to this. We only take two weeks off like everyone else. And yeah, then back into the thing. right. Yeah. Three months of lounging yeah, around. On your holly on the taxpayer's <laughs> money. On the taxpayer's money. Have, having no. to crack. Um, mm. No, and well, it's interesting. So you would say you're kind of at a midpoint in the year. Yeah. So So it's a good segue, like what I did it, there. Um, oh, oh, oh. Ooh, 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 ooh. You see, very I, well done. I've done my homework. Very well done. I'm so we late. do. We talk. We talk. Very well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed with that. To say, <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been, been waiting for that one for uh, for a few minutes. <laughs> so we're yeah. yeah so today we do talk stuff. And, you know, it's nice and loose. Uh, so we can't be told we're not sticking to the point. Yeah. But but we do primarily talk economics. Yeah. And it's kind of come up in previous podcast episodes that this is something to talk about, which is the midlife crisis. Yeah. So this is something I, I, I got interested in precisely because we just happen to be the same age. Yeah. And then I was telling you like one day how... I was dealing with one of my postdoctoral fellows and we were trying to classify a, co- a data set by age. And so the problem is it goes zero to four, five to nine. The, 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 the bins are too small. So we were trying to make the bins bigger. Mm-hmm. And then we decided, sure, feck it. We'll just go young, you know, young adults, whatever, right? And then the question was, well, where to put middle-aged? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, at the time, I think I was 38 or something. And then the plan was, well, 
Okay, obviously. So, and then the postdoc who is who is a, a an amazing twenty uh, four year old Chinese man was like, well, obviously it's thirty six, and I was like, no, 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 <laughs> no. Obviously, you're thirty six. <laughs> your face, you're sucked. No, that, <laughs> I'm gonna hold your old. So it turns out, um, statistically speaking, most men are middle aged at thirty six, and most women are middle aged at forty two. Okay. So this sort of precipitated. A statistical midlife crisis for me, mm. given that I'd missed it. Do you know what I mean? I'd missed the midlife crisis. Oh. Yeah. And then I went, wait, hang on. So people are statistically sort of mid, middle, middle-aged in their late 30s, but they're socially middle-aged in their late 40s or something, right? Right, okay. Yeah, and so pe- people that kind of expect this. And then I went, and then it was only after, so it just randomly turns out that you and I are the same age. Mm-hmm. And then I told you that story. And then I was like, okay, cool. Can we think about the economics of middle, midlife? Yeah. Which is something that people don't really think about. They think about young people because young people cost the state money in terms of education and health. I think yeah. about old people in terms of the money that they cost in terms of education and health, yeah. particularly health. So it's like, okay, and pensions. I thought, well, nobody really cares about the people in the middle because the idea is, well, you're, pay- you're working, you're paying your taxes, you're doing your thing. and Carrying the whole uh, feckin' lot of them. I've got, a, I've got a hump in me back from carrying the lottery, <laughs> you know, and, and all of that. And, and, and you're left to do your thing. Yeah. So I started reading about this uh, after, right after our podcast. Yeah. So I read a few things. The first, I read a brilliant book by Kieran Satia, the MIT philosopher, about, it's called Midlife. And it's an amazing book because it's, he goes through the history of the concept of, of midlife, where, the, uh, uh, where his own midlife crisis took him. So it's kind of like part self-help book, part history of the idea of midlife, mm. and then part like what philosophy teaches you to do. Because philosophy is all about how to live the good life. Mm-hmm. What is a good life is the first question in all of philosophy. And it's like, okay, what is a good life? And Satya is really interesting because he's, his, his life is very close to my own, right? Mm-hmm. In that he's he's a, a middle-aged professor, yeah. right? And so uh, I was, uh, you know, he and I were vibing. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool, yeah, right. Uh, oh, God, you know, <laughs> it was a little bit too on the nose, and you know what I mean? A little bit too much on the nose. I was right. like, okay, cool. So he, so he describes the phenomenon of midlife, okay. uh, which began in 1963. So it was a very, very young idea. Okay. Uh, a psychoanalyst... Um, had this idea, and uh, he basically was seeing a load of middle-aged men coming and going, what's the point of my life? Do you know, yes. I've got married, I have the kids, I have the boat, I have the job, and all things being equal, this is the 1960s, you know, Don Draper kind of madman stuff, I'm going to live till I'm 80 or 90. What does it all mean? What's the point? Yeah. And these lads were going off the rails. And this is where, the, and, the, and the whole, the story of, you know, the guy who gets the perm, chucks the marriage, gets a sports car, all yeah. that crack. All that's from this one paper. But that um, one paper? One paper, because he's describing exactly what the lads, he spoke to 40 fellas who were all over 40. And he describes this uh, 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 problem, you know. And then in the, in the 60s and 70s, the midlife crisis becomes a staple of U.S. psychological and kind of cultural discourse. Yeah, and, and movies. And, and movies, movies and the whole yeah, bit. Because, yeah. of course, it's like, you know, it, it's a perfect dramatic moment, or a perfect yeah. dramatic foil. Yeah. Which is, you can exploit a Hamlet moment in yeah. something in somebody with a fairly large disposable income. Yes. Right, and that's the important bit. So Kevin Spacey in This American Life, right? Mm. All of that. This American Life? Um, American, American Dream. Yeah. American, American Beauty. American Beauty. American Beauty. Yeah. 
What's this American Life? That's the NPR radio. That's the American NPR, the awesome NPR podcast, which podcast, everyone should yes. listen to. Yeah. Uh, what's the American Dream? It's uh, it's broken. It's a broken thing that no one really knows. And uh, <laughs> then of course the uh, then, then there's Kevin Spacey. So classic <laughs> midlife crisis. So so it's a beautiful uh, dramatis persona. It turned out that in the nineties. These psychologists and sociologists decided to actually study whether it really existed because it was just very small scale studies, yeah. 40, 50 people who were fairly self-selected. Right? So if you're the kind of person who's like, my life is so messed up, I need to go talk to someone and pay them money to I, listen I, I to I have me. time to do that talk even. Talk yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, so you've got yeah, the cash yeah. of doing this. It's very self-selected. It's like, it's, like, um, it's like a GP that only sees, you know... Uh, um, white men white men with I don't know who are cheating on their partners and yeah. so it's like all so, white men are you know. so the whole world is cheating on exactly, their partners because yeah, of yeah. the self-selection effect so there's this massive study absolutely huge study called the MIDAS study okay and what they found was a lot of people don't have the midlife crisis right yeah. what they have is a generalised feeling that things are kind of getting worse Okay. So it's not like, oh my God, my life sucks. I'm going to throw, you know, throw out the wife, get rid of the, you know, kids and get a, get a, get mm. a sports car and a perm and the usual crack. It's not that. It's also, uh, uh, and you'll notice that everything I've described is in male, mm-hmm. right? The middle crisis is, is, is totally not gendered. Right. Right. It's just that the first presentation of it in the literature is men. Yes. Because they had the disposable income to go nuts. Yeah. And were, you know, socially... And where the breadwinners had the money, had access to the exactly. money. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So um, it turns out that most people who are in their 40s kind of tend to feel a bit worse about things. Yeah. And then they, they very few of them go, do you know what? It's not going to work for me anymore. I'm going to, you know, throw it all in. It's not a crisis. It's just a, a malaise. Malaise. Okay. A malaise. Right. So the... The other thing is, when you look at very, very precisely the kinds of questions people are asked, yeah. that matters. Okay. Hugely, it matters. So if somebody asks you a leading, leading question like, how crap do you feel? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do you know yeah. what I mean? I, I remember yeah. like noticing friends, they, they wouldn't say, how are you? They'd say, what's wrong with you? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like, that's immediately yeah. putting me in yeah, this, yeah. this headspace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or you, see, you see it in Irish people, you know, uh, you see it in Irish people, they go, oh, Jez, how, how are you? And you go, oh, not too bad. Not too not bad. Not too bad. Like my baseline is negative and yeah. it's come up from negative and can't now it's like complain. minus 12. I can't complain. <laughs> Damn it. I'd really like to. Damn if you it. took me for a cup of tea or a pint, <laughs> you'd hear it all. The truth, the reality, the gossip that you really want. And I know. Crave. I remember a friend of yeah. mine working in a cafe and like she's kind of in a good mood and someone comes in and they're like, it's awful out, isn't it? And she immediately, to disagree is to be awkward yeah you know, well actually it's quite nice you know what I mean like oh shut yeah. up you so you have to kind of go yeah it's awful out and then you put into a place of well, it's both so awful you know? <laughs> and it has this knock on effect it's like, like, you know it's that, it's that need it's, to yeah that, sorry go on you know I was just wondering is it also I mean you're saying the time the 60s like is it a time the first time people were living longer yep. living long enough to get bored yeah. you know uh, yeah that was just wondering so it's also the, the it's that it's that moment. So these are the baby boomers, right? So the baby boomers, have, they're the children of the people who won the Second World War. Yep. They're the people who are in the process of, you know, shuffling off the mortal coil right now. And um, what's interesting is those people were born with, particularly in America and in, in the West, with they were injected with an enormous amount of self-confidence, right? Yeah. So this is the, the America of the 1950s and 60s. Super, super dark place if you weren't like 
a heterosexual white male, right? Mm-hmm. But it, and, and the discourse was all about how amazing America and the West was. Mm-hmm. So if you're born into all of this, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of champion stuff, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, if it doesn't work out, work out well, it's like, Meh. I remember uh, watching a Richard Pryor uh, DVD when I was a kid or video. No, uh, eight track. Come on, let's face it. Let's face <laughs> yeah. it. It was a projection on yeah, the wall. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a hand. It was. It was hand puppetry. Um, th- th- and uh, he said uh, that he felt really, really sorry for white male Protestants. Right. Because you know, it was like, well, you find you get get a Catholic in America. Well, the reason I failed was, you know, the. The, the Protestants were against me, you yeah. know, and if you're, if you're a black, you know, oh, the reason I failed was, uh, you know, it's like, and if you're a white Protestant, you know, heterosexual man, well, the reason I failed was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh a lot of that, right? So, yeah, so, the, 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 so all the way up through the 60s, 70s, 80s, it's this cultural thing, which is kind of not really being matched in the statistics. Okay, And yeah. then it sort of comes up to the early 2000s where we start having these giant surveys, like these really giant things like mm-hmm. surveying millions of people going, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Mm. And the same person at different points in their life and figuring out how to ask the right questions about how you feel about the future. Yeah. And uh, it's in that context that these two dudes, Blanche Flower and Oswald, do this giant landmark study. Okay. And what these lads do is they, they, they produce a, 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 a very, very careful statistical analysis of this giant Gallup survey of uh, uh, life satisfaction, so subjective well-being. How do you feel given that life is like this? Given that, you know, you, 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 you mightn't be, let's say, uh, fully able-bodied, right? Go, given that, yeah. how are things going? Given that, given that, given that. And yeah. so subjective well-being, how do you feel conditional on, you know, all the other things being equal, how are you feeling about your life? Yeah. How do you feel about the next five years? And what they show is that there's a dip. It's a U-shaped curve mm-hmm. between, and it, the, the curve sort of starts in, in, in late teen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty solid up until, you know, the mid-30s, and then it dips, and then it, 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 it has its lowest point at about 43, 44. <laughs> Economist brings good news to Anne Blake. Yes. <laughs> Just Sorry about ago. that. It's, it, and it, it's, it, the curve is pretty robust to... Um, the curve is pretty robust to uh, different specifications. It's pretty robust to gender, you know, age. It's been done in about 80 countries. Yeah. So it seems to be a generalized thing. Okay. So it's not a crisis. More like things just get crapper. Right. For a while. Okay. Right? And that brings us back to Kieran Satia, right? So okay. after the Oswald and Blanche Flower paper, basically everyone looks at this subjective well-being stuff. The economics of happiness becomes like a whole thing. Yeah. And how can we make people happy? Should we not study happiness? We talk about gross national income, making mm. that bigger. Should we not try to make gross national happiness bigger? Uh, listeners, if you've got any ideas how to make you know people happier, go with that. Yeah. And it revives a really old, old literature in economics, um, all coined by a, by a dude called G.L.S. Shackle, okay. who was completely blind, but who wrote more books than I'll ever write, which is like... Super depressing. But anyway, <laughs> Shackle has this principle of what, if you have to decide something as a, like the Minister of Finance or something, what you, the principle you should apply is, uh, does it increase misery or does it decrease misery? Okay. Does it make people worse off or better off? Not in a, not in a, a, a monetary sense or is it going to be cruel? So if it's going to be cruel, you don't do it. Okay. Right? So it's, an, it's, it's a negative result. It's like, 
telling your kids don't cross the road when the man is red. It's like if it's going to be cruel, don't do it. Yeah. And if it, if it, it, it's a, which is a very interesting criteria. Lots of decisions that you see made in society are not made because it would minimize cruelty. No. Right. They're, it's made because there's a trade-off, and you think, well, there'll be more money down the road for that thing. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, all of these ideas are kind of revived as a result of that. But then the question is, okay, so midlife is a is is a thing. Okay. It's not a crisis. It's a general feeling of crapness. Just a, a dip. A dip. Yeah, I did get graphs sent to me by the way, uh, uh, studying homework for this episode. So I've seen the graph and it's it's there. I've seen. Yeah. And it's pretty much a year or two away <laughs> from me. So yeah, yeah no, it's. Yeah. Um, you know what we should do if, if we're still doing this podcast in two years, we should do like a mid bottom of the dip <laughs> podcast where we just like get hammered. <laughs> you know what I mean? We just bring like Keanu just bring some beers. I'll bring some beers. You bring some beers, and we just be like, this is the bottom of the dip. Middle-aged misery with Adam yeah, yeah, and Steve. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's funny because like people will tune in for that. Uh, totally. Actually, yeah. uh, I had a bit of a, a slagging, and I'm uh, a friend of mine listened to a previous episode, and I was getting live commentary from her as she was listening to it. Oh. Joe was getting <laughs> his comments, <laughs> and cool. uh, uh, Bernadette, if you're listening, he better be. Um, I'll I'll be getting a live commentary about this, but well, I just got this this. Um, we were talking about middle age, and. Uh, I just got this text going, you are middle-aged, right? So if you're listening, Bernadette, and you will be, you've heard it from the economist himself, I have one more year before officially as a lady, I am middle-aged. But um, I just had to get that in there yeah. to protect myself. That's fair, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so you were saying um, about this dip, this just things are a bit crapper. It's yeah, a perception and, and, thing. And the reason is... So Satya in his book Midlife says, look, um, the reason that things are crap, crappest in particular, are look, look at what life is doing to you at this point, right? Like you, physically, you're definitely not what you were, right? So mm -hmm. in, th in your early 30s, you can still pretend you're in your early 20s, right? Mm -hmm. As long as you, you know, live the right way and, you know, you, you aren't going completely mad all the time. In your early 40s, you just can't. Nope. There's no mistake in it, like you know. I know we had my mammy's 80th birthday party on Saturday, and I'm still, I'm still not right. You're rattled, like <laughs> she was up till four thirty herself yeah, as well. So I mean, geez. but yeah, no, you're right. It did. Let, let the record show, listeners, that that, that uh, Anne Blake Dame Anne Blake put her hands up in praise of her granny, like praise. Not her, no. her mammy, yeah. my mam, not my gran. Your mam, wow, my mam, yeah, hardcore. she's hardcore. Yeah, but yes, uh, you were saying that you cannot get away with the things. Yeah, you just can't get away with the things and also you've seen the things right like like you've had the career it's gone well or it hasn't you've you've tried the thing either it's gone well you, you've been in, a, been in a relationship it's gone well or it hasn't mm -hmm. you know like and they're dealing with consequences of either yeah. so in Satya's case so he's a full professor at MIT so it has gone well yeah right this lad's career has totally you know he's gone well but the point is when you're at MIT it's like where else are you going to go? You know, you hit the top and now you've got to stop. It's like Alexander crying that he'd no, no more, more worlds, worlds to conquer. Totally. Exactly that. Uh, and same thing. And But but the the truth is true in either way. Mm. If you're super successful, you've got that problem. And if you're not successful, you still have the problem. And is this, like you said, it's been done, a, like huge broad study. Has it been done like across... Like you're saying, it's been across like culture, race, gender, class, yep. everything. All okay. That stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So now it's been replicated hundreds of times, right? right. So this, in the initial studies in the early 2000s. So then we get to the situation where um, 
you go, well, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is, in our culture, we have, uh, Satya pulls this, this notion from linguistics mm-hmm. and semiotics, which is the science of meaning, called telic and atelic. Okay. So if, with one of these, uh, I think it's telic, you're always focused on the process. So like, you know, you drive to school, you eat a sandwich. Sandwich is eaten, you're done. And with another part of it, atelic, you're not focused on the process. You're focused on, you're not focused on the outcome, you're focused on the process. So it's not, I'm driving to school, it's I'm driving. It's not, I'm cooking my kids dinner, I'm parenting. The difference is, you focus on something that doesn't finish. Because one way or the other, if you go for a job, you get it, go for a job, don't get it. The the process finishes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you uh, have kids and then they leave, Mm -hmm. right? The process of having kids finishes. The process of, you know, and you must feel this. When you finish writing a play, Mm -hmm. the process finishes. Yeah. You've done the thing. Yeah. You know, I felt this when I finished uh, uh, writing my last book. I was like, yes, oh, crap. Yes. You kind of go, oh. So telic, tell me, so telic is the... Okay, you have to remind me again. Yeah, okay. So the idea is, well, so, so let, uh, forget about the telic versus atelic. Okay. There's outcomes and then there's process. Yeah, okay, yeah. So if you're always focusing on the outcome for everything, then by definition, by the time you hit middle age, you've done a load of these outcomes right, okay. and they've happened to you and you're like, well, that was good or it wasn't. Mm. But the point is, they end. Yes. And you've now done a load of these mm-hmm. and you've realized, ah, shite. I've got more of these. This is this is it. Yeah. Okay. And I and what do I have to look forward to? Is just this more of these checkbox to do list things, and then at the end of this set of meaningless to do lists, I die. Okay. And you can't like middle age is that moment where you go. Do you know what? I'm pretty sure this is, you know, the end is the end is closer than the beginning and you're going all ah, right yeah so it's that it's that animating it's so it's the fear of death how to deal with this but this idea of if you can focus on the process that means you're focusing on something that doesn't end yeah because you're just doing something it doesn't mean you sit there going like staring at a cloud all day right but instead of writing the book or writing the play you're just writing yeah yeah no absolutely that that's very interesting and yeah. i think it's something I don't want to sound like an old fogey, which we know I almost am. I have one more year. But um, no, but it's something, it's very, you can describe it, but it's not really, it's very experiential. Yes. Um, Yes. Like what you're saying to me is making a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But I know four years ago, I'd be like, listen to them good on (laughs) miserable. You know what I mean? Um, Because obviously four years ago, I was, you know, 14. Um, Like, that there's just something that it's very hard to describe when your perspective just shifts slightly it just yeah. changes um yeah. i mean kian won't know what we're talking about our our lovely producer that's in, because in his... we employ child labor here <laughs> <laughs> kian is a child <laughs> he's like everything's great what are you lot complaining about but here's a question we gave him a lollipop <laughs> it's fine this is my future Yes, you're looking at your future. The ghost of podcasters future. So we are trying to be better behaved as we go on in these uh, episodes as what I'm saying is timekeeping. So with a view to kind of heading towards wrapping up. Yeah. Is is there hope? There is. (laughs) Or or is there merely death? There is. There is hope. And so so this is what I was looking for in in this literature, right? So I read about four books and I read a load of these kind of... um, 
things. And, and one of them is, is there's this Japanese principle, right? And it's called... Yes. What is it called? What's it called? It's Eka, called Ikigai. Ikigai. I think. And Ikigai. so what it is, it's, it's four overlapping circles. Um, the content of which is now slightly uh, escaping my memory. But basically... We, we can put it in the show notes. Okay, we will. We'll, I think we'll I'll put it in the show notes. But what yeah. it is, is it's, it's what, ca- what can you do and what are you good at? What, what is good for you? What's good for society? What will get you paid? Um, what, what do you love? And it's sort of locating yourself now in one of these squares, right? So at one level, like if you do something well and you get paid for it, but you don't love it, you're probably like in a profession sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you do something you love and it's good for society, but you're not getting paid, you're probably an artist. Yeah, they, uh, that That's sounds like my life. <laughs> yeah. If you if you don't get paid, but it's just amazing for society or something like that, it, it's, it's different, right? Mm. So at each point, you've got to locate yourself and say, well, where do I want to be? And it's like, oh, wow, you can, if, if where you want to be is somewhere where you make a bit of cash, where you're doing something good for the world, where you're actually good at it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can say, well, right, I can, I can make myself, you can tra- create a path where you transition into that space, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I started doing this genuinely in my own life. Um, I have started going, wow, okay. So there are lots and lots of things I do. And some of this is amazing. And some of it is, is, is just generally insane. Like mm-hmm. it's just, I just said yes to stuff because somebody asked me. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you're like, why did you do that? I'm like, well, I just said yes so a lot of it is is that and then some of it is trying to really really focus on process and the process of my job is a really strange thing because lots of my things come to an end i started this podcast i'm going teaching ends yeah but but the process of being a teacher doesn't of course yeah Uh, and then and then how do you match those things i'm not i'm not saying i'm perfect at it but i'm trying really hard to not spend all of my time inside of an app called Things, which is a to-do list thing. Oh, and yeah. I like literally like live in this yoke. Okay. Like, I spend more time in things than any other app on my phone. Okay. And I'm always trying to go to do this, do this, do this, and trying to very, so I'm an extreme case of the sort of outcome lad. Okay. So I'm trying to be less of an outcome lad, more of a process lad. More of a process more, person. And that's maybe better uh, for me. But remember, we live in a culture that's totally outcome focused. Yeah. So yeah. It's in no, it is interesting because obviously the creative life is primarily about process. You know, like yeah. yeah, you do need outcomes. You need you need songs. You need shows. You need books. You need films. You need these things. But yeah. I mean, for every um, play I have put on, I have been part of development of stuff that may never happen. Yeah. Doesn't mean that that won't contribute to something else. I know what you mean. Do you know, you're always, you know, actually Nora Ephron, the screenwriter, it's kind of, it's a misuse of her quote, but she says it's all copy. So it's more about miserable experiences. So, you know, if you have a bad experience, and she's like, it's all copy. It's all something you can, uh, you can put into a story, you can put into a, a podcast, you can put into something. And like that, if I've gone through the process of writing something that never sees the light of day, there will still be something in that that I can use. Are there something some skill um you know it's like it's like exercise i suppose you know it's like jogging or that it it it, it gets something gets fitter along the way even if it it isn't ever staged 
Does that make sense? That makes not only does that make incredible sense to me. What I think we should do in a future podcast is I would love you to take us through how you wrote like a scene in one of your plays. Oh yeah. Because of that. Okay. Right? Like, um, have you heard the podcast Song Exploder? No. Song Exploder is an incredible podcast um, where a singer songwriter takes you through how they made an individual song. Okay. Like literally, this is what I was reading when I came up with this lyric. Oh. This is what I was listening to. This is the beat that I care about. Or um, these are the 12 iterations of this song that didn't make it anywhere. I think my um, yeah. my brother, Dave, who is a fantastic songwriter, has referenced that to me. And I, I, it's I, awesome. I will listen to it. There is actually a Limerick connection. It all, it's all local. Uh, the Cranberries. Mm-hmm. Um, have a piece this is after Dolores passed away but there is a piece by one of the Cranberries on one of their latest songs and it's just brilliant like mm. yeah so, so definitely check it out so I would love to do that okay because I would imagine that many of the aspects of that are um, the process are kind of the same for scientific papers mm. but um, there's one key difference which is uh, there's two key differences one is one is loads of crack yeah uh, the <laughs> <laughs> so there's significantly less question there. okay. well so we, we don't have to put on our scientific papers sure right well we do present them there's yeah. a certain performance of that there's also the uh, aspect of you do these experiments you run these things build these models mm-hmm. and then there's the peer review element of it ah so you anonymous people slag you off right B- uh, bitter so pills bitter pills yeah so it's almost like imagine after your play was published a load of anonymous people went mm. <laughs> But then you had to change the play based on what they said. Oh, boo. Yeah. It's terrible. I know. Yeah. Okay. I, I <laughs> Bags <Yeah>. my life. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on that mature note, <laughs> um, we, 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 we might wrap things yeah, up. But yeah, we'll definitely get to that at a future date. Um, awesome. Yeah. But thank you for taking us through the midlife crisis. And hopefully it'll make the next few years of it less bumpy for both of us yeah um but until next time uh this has been Anne and steve talking stuff on the limerick post and um on the limerick post podcast series and thank you to keen reinhardt our wonderful producer and uh yeah extra lollipops for keen extra lollipops (laughs) we'll talk to you again bye